Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome back to the Dixie Poles podcast. Uh, this particular episode is going to be a bit different than we're normally used to. It's going to be shorter, and it's just going to be me. Uh, there's going to be no intro, no outro, uh, more of a gorilla style type podcast. Uh, I'm not really sure. I'm trying out some new things, but this was going to be a different pod. This was scheduled as a different podcast, just in general. And I'm hoping to get this released out to you before. RE Lee Day, which is, oh gosh, what is today? Um, the 14th, so hopefully it'll be released by the 15th, which is Alabama and Mississippi's RE Lee Day. Um, and it's going to be the immortalization of General RE Lee. Um, as most of you know, back in October, Virginia melted down the Richmond statue, the one that stood there in the middle of the, uh, the circle. Uh, that stood there for decades, and the the absolute demonic outcry that happened against it from from them raging about this statue of this honorable great man to the absolute graffiti. Probably one of the greatest images I can think of was the 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 the, the they had graffiti all the way up into the feet of Traveler and. But they could not reach him. They, they just could not seem to reach his heights to actually mark up um, R.E. Lee Riding Traveler. Uh, but anyways, back in October, as I mentioned earlier, Virginia melted down the Lee statue. And I'm, I'm honestly not even sure. Like I, I thought about it, and I was going to do a, um, a podcast back then similar to what I'm doing now. Uh, kind of glad I waited. But the more I think about it, the more I... The more, the more I'm, I, I'm kind of baffled. Like I don't even think I fully understand the ramifications of what happened or what's going to happen in the future. Like the the actual cause of this and the and the um, ramifications of the future of, of this wicked act of melting down this man's statue. Uh, it was perpetuated by people who hate us who hate the people that built the South and America at large, who hate the Christian God, and they want to see us defeated, demoralized, and and just totally outcast. They, they want us to be the untouchables. But, but, ladies and gentlemen, we all know that's not going to happen. All right, because we have men standing up right now who are taking the fight back to them in, in small ways. I mean, the, the, the whole Southern Nationalist movement on a grand scale is rather small. But, you know, if a people wants to succeed long term, which I think we're going to win short term. Um, and by short term, I'm talking like, you know, 50 years. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anything's going to happen within the next two to three years. But I think we're going to start seeing momentum shift, power changing hands and um uh i mean in in all reality it, it is the the quote-unquote great reset however i think that the elites that want this reset are going to lose grasp of anything they have uh but that's not a this isn't a podcast about uh about this particular topic um so how, how do we build past that in the and what I was going to talk about was one particular way of defying the powers at large. How do we carry on this future of a Southern man? And um, 
in one way, it's it's deifying these men. So, if you've listened to previous podcasts, you know me and Lucas were we're big into the entire um we're big Tolkien and C.S. Lewis nerds. Uh, we we believe that myth is very important. Myth and legend is very important for a people. And I want to revitalize. I mean, and this might also happen with a little bit of my autism dripping in because I've been reading a lot of Greek mythology and Nordic mythology. And um, but I, I think the South itself needs its own mythology. So we should deify these great heroes. These great heroes like Jefferson Davis, R.E. Lee, um, General Nathan Bedford Forrest, um, Old Jack Stonewall, um, or Stonewall Jackson. Try to merge two of his nicknames in with one. But anyways, but I, I need to clarify something a little bit about what a deification of these men are. Okay, what this is not is putting these men on par or even close to ascending to the omnipotence of the triune God. This is not that. This is taking great heroes and adding them to a pantheon of immortalization. So these men shall live forever in our memories. Uh, it, it doesn't even just have to be Confederate guys. It can also be um, men like David Crockett, Daniel Boone, um, Lewis and Clark to an extent. I mean, we can even throw some Northerners in there. Um, but let's just face it, all the great men came from the South, right? Um what this is is a combined effort to immortalize these men in the hearts and minds of future generations. Um, and I'm going to go over three topics, three criteria on what we're going to do uh, for R.E. Lee uh, in this particular episode. And like I said, it's going to be a short episode, just something I can get out there for for R.E. Lee Day. And uh, the the great the the, the Three criteria that I've I've put on there is these great deeds, their character, and their faith. Uh, why? Really, no particular order. I decided to put faith last because I believe that's the central tenet for these men. So, while I love John C. Calhoun, he was a Unitarian. Could I add him to the pantheon? Maybe. Maybe. A great man, yes. Someone to look up to, yes. Someone to immortalize? Yes, but to a lesser extent than someone like R.E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Uh, that, that, again, this is something I, you know, I'm starting. Lucas is going to help me with this, but it's going to be a community project on writing the legends for these men. Um, there was an idea that I had not too long ago where, uh, so Homer had the Iliad and the, and the, and the Odyssey. Uh, I want to, I want to create something similar to that, uh, where we take historical examples, but we just freaking myth the crap out of it, you know? Um, and I've got some ideas working around in my head, but these legends just shouldn't be something that one central person comes up with. In fact, there's a quote. Let me pull it up here. Um, it is quite easy to see why a legend is treated and ought to be treated more respectfully than a book of history. The legend, in general, is made up of a majority of people in the village who are sane. The book is generally written by one man in a village who is mad. That's Chester Chesterton and Orthodoxy. Uh, so, 
whenever I say I want to create a myth, this is something that you need to help me as well as also. Um, I can only do so much, right? And I'm probably going to screw up, bumble over this. Um, just trying to, like, I wrote my thoughts down a little bit, but at the same time, it, my thoughts are all over the place, y'all. So, anyway, so let, let's go on to, um, you know, let's go on to Lee's deeds, since we're specifically talking about R.E. Lee. So, if we're going to add Lee to the Pantheon, we need some myths. We need to, not myth doesn't always mean false. Okay, uh, if any, if you've learnt, listened to us for any length of time, you know myth does not equal false. Now, when we talk about Lee's deeds, um, he fought in the Spanish American War, came back a war hero, remained in the U.S. Army, um, but he left the U- the U.S. Army, left the Union Army. After Virginia succeeded, they were offering him a high-ranking position, lead the lead the armies of um of the Yankees, but he said he would not turn his sword against Virginia. Now, that spoke to the kind of man and how he thought. He was a Virginian first and foremost. Okay, well he was a Christian first and foremost. Okay, so we're going to get into that a little bit later. But he was a, he was a Virginian. Before he was an American, he was a Virginian, and that's how Southerners thought. There was no, I mean, there was that they they had the concept of the federal government. The federal government was nowhere near as all encompassing as many of the northern counterparts wanted it to be. Lincoln totally and vastly changed all that. Um, I'm not going to get into all the details on that, but anyways, he he said he left a prominent position in the Union Union forces to come and and work with the Virginia military. Uh, he was the he was the um general of the uh, Northern Virginia. But not only that, when he became the 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 chief in command, uh, he was the second one chosen. Um I'm going straight off memory right now, but I want to say it was Beauregard first. Or no, it was Joseph Johnson first and then Lee replaced Johnson. But anyways, when Lee took over, he wore out. I think he took over in 62. I think, again, I don't have my notes in front of me, and dates have never been a strong suit of mine. Um, he took over the Army of Northern Virginia in either late 61, early 62. And during his campaigns, he wore through, again, off the top of my head, four Union generals. Um he went through McClellan. He went through Hooker. Uh, he went through. There's someone else in that mix. I can't rightly remember. But then he came up against Grant, the butcher. So, in most of his campaigns, he was going up against a force that some of the times was nearly twice as large as him. Uh, I know Chancellorsville, uh, the, the force was nearly two times as strong as him, but yet Lee, making one of those wild decisions, decided to split his force, attack him over here, and routed the enemy. Um, again, this isn't supposed to be a history podcast, but, you know, uh, so I'm not going to give all the details on that. But, anyways, even, even during that, he only lost because Grant decided to just shovel forces down his throat and just get them ground up in, in, in inside of you know inside Lee's firing lines that's the only way that he he won the war of attrition 
All right, I think that's very common knowledge right now. Uh, he, you know, Lee had this great source of of uh, immigrants he could just send to the front lines. Uh, I want to I want to say again, numbers top of my head, about a third of the Union Army was was just straight up fresh off the boat foreigners. Um, I mean, that's astounding if you really think about thirty three percent. But even after the war, we talk about Lee's great deeds, and he even then, you know, he he never spoke ill of anyone. Um, in fact, hold on, let me find. Um, so I found it. It's the uh, a first-hand account from the Civil War Treasury. Um, Battle of Gettysburg. Let's see. All right, the last day of the fight, I was badly wounded. A ball had shattered my leg. I lay on the ground not far from Cemetery Ridges. General Lee ordered his retreat. He and his officers rode near me. As they came along, I recognized him, and though faint from exposure and lost of blood, I raised up my hand, looked Lee in the face, and shouted as loud as I could, Hurrah for the Union! The general heard me, looked, stopped his horse, dismounted, and came towards me. I confessed that at first thought he meant to kill me. But as he came up, he looked down on me such sad expressions upon his face that all fear left me, and I wondered what he was about. He extended his arm to me and grasping mine firmly and said, My son, I hope you will be well soon. <laughs> so this is about Lee walking gracefully over to a wounded soldier who basically just insulted him in his face. Lee lost a horrible battle at Gettysburg, it, but, but he's leaving the battlefield this... This Union soldier just, you know, says, hey, screw you. And Lee just says, I hope you're better soon, man. That, that's the kind of grace we need with our enemies when when this is allowed. Like, we shouldn't allow it in the heat of battle, right? But when all the smoke's calmed, he's still a wounded enemy. He, he can't hurt us. He's he's laying there with, with a ball that shattered his leg. Um, and we just need to, you know... Be graceful, you know. Just be graceful. Like that—that's one of the one of the greatest things is Lee never insulted Grant. Um, of course, you know, honestly, Grant being a drunkard, okay, he also held himself in fairly good honor compared to most other um, Union generals at the time. Um, but but Lee was just exceptional. Like in all of his communications, he was this, just this graceful person. Uh, this graceful man that walked and was kind to nearly everyone. Um, and, and another one of one of Lee's deeds that whenever he was trying to foster relationships after the war was it was it was a service after the war in an Episcopal church. He uh, it was the end of the service, and in this particular Episcopal church, part of their liturgy was they partook of communion at the end of it, and a, a solitary black man came down and kneeled at the altar when that wasn't the custom. You know, um, uh, uh, again, pulling from memory, either they had their own table that they took the elements from, or they waited at the back of the line, but at this time he came forward first thing, and next thing you know, Lee is kneeling up there, right alongside of him. Uh, take that story for how you will, but I mean, that's still a beautiful story. Um, how two men, brothers in Christ, um, found some way to attempt to reconcile this difference in the face of this new America that had been thrust upon them without their consent. Um, 
So I was already mentioning, you know, Lee's honor, Lee's dignity. We're getting into uh, the character of this man, Lee. And this is a character worthy of emulation. We should seek to, you know, as the Apostle Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, in this particular case, imitate Lee as he imitated Christ. Even in his old age, he was a kind man, uh, a gentle man. Uh, Literally, the definition of a gentleman. He was gentle, kind to everyone that he met. He held, you know, everyone in honor. When when veterans visited his home after the war, he he made it a point to come down there and say hello to them, shake their hands. Uh, they still treated him like an officer. He still treated them like an enlisted. Um, there's still that class difference right there. Um, and, and a lot of Southerners still understand this class difference, even though it's totally different. But it's still the same. Like there is still this natural aristocracy that we can see with old monies from our area. Uh, now, granted, there's a lot of boundaries that have been been broken away by this egalitarian nonsense that we're having to deal with, but at the same time, it's still there. There's still an aristocracy that we should honor within the South. We might not have to like them. You know, a lot of the old money, they have screwed us over, but at the same time, we should still respect them. In as far as they deserve respect. Now, if they're if they're just totally, you know, pilfering the area, you know, we call them scallywags. Uh, they're still scallywags today. They're selling their land that they have held on to um, when the when the prices were down because you can't sell it to locals. I screw them. So they're selling to developments. You know, we don't have to honor these type people, but Lee is one of those honorable gentlemen who is worthy of our emulation and our respect. Um. And, and lastly, uh, this is going to be shorter than I thought, but uh, Lee's faith. Um, he was born in an Episcopalian household. Uh, there's many quotes of Lee where he, he's talking about how much the scriptures bring him joy, rest, even in the midst of, of him being in the campaign. You know, he's out in the field. He's sleeping in mud. Um, well, probably not mud. He probably had a cot, but I would assume that's, you know, I know he had dysentery during the war. So even during these hard times for him, this, this officer who's, who's living with his men, um, he's still finding comfort within the scriptures. He's still finding comfort within his savior Christ. Uh, I do not think that this can be overstated. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, you know, emulate, emulate Lee as he emulates Christ. Um, you know, he had a great relationship with, with General Jackson, a man that that was a staunch, rigid Presbyterian. And then you have Lee over here as a as a, an Episcopalian, um, one, you know, less rigid, uh, more high church. Um, he just generally was was theologically different, but he always had this brotherly connection with this man from another denomination. Um, was Lee a Calvinist? I don't know. I honestly don't. Um, probably could have told you that earlier whenever I was, you know, doing more reading on Lee. Uh, but at the same time, he was a brother in Christ, of, of which I have no doubt. I have more assurity that men like Lee, Jackson, Forrest, 
uh, Jeff Davis, I have more assurity that they will be in the kingdom of heaven, that they are in the kingdom of heaven, I should say, than a man like MLK. All right. And, and you can take that to the bank. I, I know in today's society, of course, we don't we kind of ignore today's society on the Dixie Bowls podcast. But in today's society, we're all, you know, oh, well, Lee was, or, or excuse me, King was such a great man. Lee was an evil slave owner. Whoa, he was an evil slave owner. Oh, that's complete hogwash. Okay. Um, what What's a greater sin? Gentlemen, what's a greater sin, owning a human being, which is regulated in the scriptures, or denying the deity of Christ, raping women, committing communist sedition, which is a worse sin? Um, you know, I, I think we all know the answer there. Um, so, again, this is going to be a shorter episode. I'm, I'm already starting to wrap up. Um, there is no better man than can be added to our pantheon. Our Southern Pantheon, you know, let's, let's, you know, there's a lot of Greek influence in, in, in Southern architecture, a lot of Corinthian uh, pillars. Um, so let, let's just stick with a, with a, with a Greek, um, a Greek ethos of how we deify these men um, with Lee and the Pantheon. Uh, we, we were brainstorming earlier this week, last week sometime. Uh, and it's been going on. You might have seen our, our AI memes on Telegram on on us building these memes about these men, you know, whereas um, we had General, or excuse me, um, we had uh, President Davis. He was, he represented this Zeus-like figure. Um, so we could add him as our Zeus in the Pantheon. We had um, the God of War, uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Um, we had our Hermes, which was Jackson, and I, I think Lee would would fit greater as Apollo. Um, he he was a he was a man of honor, a man of wisdom, man of, man to respect. Uh, he was respected on both sides, no matter how bad it went. Um, you know, it, it it's just hard to find a bad thing to say about Lee. You know, um, there there was a story I heard when I was uh reading one of his biographies, and it was when he was president at uh, Washington University, which I think was later called Washington Lee, and um, uh, trying to remember the entire story, but uh, essentially it was it was these cadets uh, in their barracks, and uh, someone stepped, kept stealing their, uh, their cordwood, you know, for their wood stoves, and so one of the cadets went and drilled out a hole in, in one of the logs, shoved some gunpowder in there, and then sealed the end of it up. So whoever was stealing it would throw that and boom, blow up their furnace, right? Well, that happened, but it wasn't the guy that stole it. A janitor went and took it and threw it in the fire and, and blew it up. Well, the cadet gets called up to uh, General Lee's office. And uh, he sat down, had him explain the whole situation. And he said, next time, try a lighter load. <laughs> so, so anyways, I'm ending that on the story. Uh, like I said, a little bit different. No intro, no outro. It's just me. I want to do more of these. Um, I, w- I want to expound upon Lee, get better stories, you know, create better myths of him. Not, I can't create better myths. The man was literally a legend. 
when he was alive. Okay, so but I want to take the take the stories of him, distill them down, and, and retell them for our posterity. And um, anyways, uh, gentlemen, have a good evening, happy Ari Lee Day, and um, Dale Vendisi.